I say now, you're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. I am here at the Momentum Studios, and it's just me today, so you'll get one big, long, lengthy monologue about a bunch of different topics, so I guess it'll be broken up into several monologues, but um, it's just me here today in studio. It is a big day. It is Thursday as I'm recording this, 420. Happy 420 to those that celebrate, and... uh we got some wind shares to kick things off with. First off, per usual, Lulu Fridays, catch me there 10 p.m. to late. I will be at Lulu's on 421 this Friday and every Friday at 10 p.m. So please do pull up, enjoy some good neo-soul R&B music. It has been and will continue to be a vibe, especially as we start to inch towards summer. Obviously, we still got this wet spring happening right now as it's currently raining outside, unfortunately, but summer is near. It's coming. We can see it. Well, not quite because the rain is blinding us, if you will, which is what the sun's supposed to do. So hurry up and show, son. I'd rather be blinded by you than uh, not have you at all. So uh, Quill Up, Lulu's, Lulu Fridays, I'll be there. Also Saturday, I told you all last week, and I am going to remind you again, I'm doing a fight party slash DJ set at Deeply Rooted Sports Bar in Northeast Portland. Um, It will be a a watch party for the Javante Davis versus Ryan Garcia fight. A highly anticipated boxing match. I'm excited for it. Got a lot of people coming out. It should be a really good time. As soon as the fight ends, we may hear a speech if we need to. And then the music is going to be bumping. The sound system is already going to be set up and on. And we are going to be ready to rock out. So Deeply Rooted Sports Bar this Saturday, if you're looking for somewhere to watch the fight, it has a 200-inch screen in that place. Yeah, you heard me right. I said a 200 hundred inch screen in there so please do pull up amongst several other tvs so it'll still be nba playoffs going on you'll be able to see that on tvs they got like a tv in each corner of the bar they got about three tvs behind the bar they obviously got the huge screen that the fight will be on um they also have a golf simulator room that turns into like a private party room and it has a projector in there where you can watch fights and NBA playoffs, whatever the case may be. It's a good vibe, good time, pool tables, darts, ping pong, I think, um, <laughs> but pinball for sure. Um, so, yeah, come out, enjoy the fight, enjoy NBA playoffs and enjoy some good company. I will be there at about 6 p.m. Um, and we're going all night, baby, all night. Also. Um, I'll post the link in the description of this episode here, but Street Roots, which is the organization I work for, we had the great fortune of being published in Al Jazeera. Al Jazeera did a phenomenal documentary on us. It's about a 10-minute documentary. Um, again, I'll post the, the link and the timestamp to the documentary in the description of this episode where I do all my timestamps and everything at anyway. Um, but when I tell you it was so beautiful, it was so well put together. Obviously, Al Jazeera is a huge, huge, huge international platform, and they had the we had the fortune of being published through them. I mean, it was super cool because obviously, you know, I work in the street paper industry, the street newspaper industry, and it's another form of media that is in our landscape here in this city in particular and really internationally. And 
you know, some people are familiar with it. Obviously, you know, for those locally have listened to this podcast or seen unhoused people or people that are impoverished around selling the newspapers on the corners, the street corners out here in the city of Portland. I work for the Street Roots newspaper. I'm a vendor program director there. I'm also bringing the Street Roots podcast back, and I, I can just say it'll be less than a month. So that's coming back. But anywho, as far as this documentary concern was concerned, it really painted a picture and it really just told about the street paper movement from the lens of what we do at Street Roots. So obviously with us in particular, um, you know, we have our weekly newspaper that we publish. Um, we have our vendors who go out and sell. So you got to see the perspective from vendors who go out and sell the newspaper. Um, I got to speak. You got to hear about some of the things that we do with our advocacy, which I'll get into one of our biggest advocacy projects. And really, we call it our forever advocacy project in Portland Street Response and some recent things that's been happening here locally as well. In this episode, I am going to get to that. Um, so yeah, politics are coming today, baby. Um, we, yeah, again, the advocacy, um, and just the overall movement, you know what I mean? What it does to people's lives, how it impacts people's lives, how it informs the community, how, you know, we keep our editorial independent from our advocacy, which for some people is a tough thing to do. Um, so many great things to learn about the street paper movement. We have poetry that our vendors do. That's one of the ways that they get published in our paper as well. Um, being a low-income opportunity, you know, that has low a low-barrier income opportunity that allows folks who might not be able to get a, a regular job for whatever reason it may be, they are able to earn an, a legal income. Um, so it's just it's just. The street paper movement from the lens of our organization, I was featured in it. A couple of our vendors were featured in it. Um, Kaya Sand, who's our executive director, was featured in it. Israel Bayer, who is currently the director of the INSP North America region, INSP standing for International Network of Street Papers, which Street Roots is a part of that international network. We've got over 100 papers in 30 different countries. Um, but Israel also was the former executive director at Street Roots prior to Kaya Sand. Um, we, it was just really good, really well put together, and it's very much so informative and very much so worth the watch. Um, you know, it's again, it's informative, it's educational, but it also can tug at your heartstrings as well. Also, I was featured on TRT World News yesterday, which many of you are familiar with me going on, um, especially when it's anything BLM related or Black Lives Matter related, police related, things of the sort. Um, obviously, with a lot of the work that I've been able to do here locally, um, I get brought on to be able to do a lot of you know, analytical speaking um, when it comes to these topics in particular. Um, yesterday I was on there talking about Tyree Nichols, you know, the young man who was brutally beaten and murdered by Memphis police. Um, his family is suing the city of Memphis for, I think, upwards of $500 million. So, um, you know, that's obviously a, a big deal. And I got to speak with them and share my thoughts about the lawsuit and, and what it means and, you know, what should come from it or what we hope to come from it, so on and so forth. Again, I'll put that link in the description as well. And I believe that is all the wind shares that I have for today. Now, I'm not going to get right to the political stuff. I do still want to start with the NBA playoffs because as I sit here and record, the Golden State Warriors will be playing tonight, trying to stay away from going down 3-0 
which we've never seen a team in NBA history come back from being down 3-0 in a playoff series. Sacramento Kings, obviously the three seed, the Warriors the six seed. Y'all know that's who I'm starting with today. And, yes, I will get to the Draymond Green stuff here. Let me give you the pretext. The Warriors go down to Sacramento, lose both games. Um, again, Sacramento's been playing great all year. They're the three seed for a reason. Honestly, I think Sacramento has a chip on its shoulder as well because a lot of people were assuming that Sacramento was a team that you would kind of want to face if you were fighting for those last couple of spots um, in in the playoffs before the play-ins, which is basically five and six seeds are making in. And then, obviously, if you end up being one of the four teams that plays in the play-in tournament in your conference in particular, you get one of the last seven, eight spots in the playoffs. So there's a lot of conversation happening at the end of the season. Why teams should try to avoid playing the Phoenix Suns and Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Chris Paul. We all know the star power that they have over there. And the Clippers ultimately ended up being the fifth seed, and so they are now facing off against the Suns. While the Golden State Warriors is has what people would think to be a favorable matchup for them, although obviously they're not the favorites being the lower seed. And I'll tell you, man, kudos to Mike Brown, unanimous NBA Coach of the Year. Congratulations. Love to see that for a black coach. Want to start with love, lead with love, and congratulate him on that. But also – formerly the assistant coach of this Golden State Warriors team. And he has had his boys prepared, and they have absolutely put it to the Warriors in the first couple of games. Now, the Warriors have been in both of those games, so I'm not saying that they're blowing the Warriors out. Obviously, the Warriors had a chance to win the game, you know, in the final seconds on the Andrew McWiggins missed three in game one. And then in game two, I mean, into the fourth quarter, it was still a really tight game, and the Warriors seemed to have control and were in the middle of a decent run in that fourth quarter, about midway through it, before Draymond Green and DeMontis Sabonis got tangled up. Essentially, uh, Sabonis landed on the ground as Draymond Green's team rebounded the ball and were going the other way. Sabonis wrapped his arms around Draymond Green's ankle, which is absolutely foul. He received a technical foul for doing so. Draymond Green, instead of running off, felt the tug at his ankles, stopped in his tracks, lifted his leg pretty much as high as he could and stomped down right in the chest of DeMontis Sabonis, ultimately leading to Draymond being ejected from that game and now suspended from tonight's game, which, again, the Warriors in kind of a must-win situation, if especially if we're speaking from like a percentages standpoint, because even teams that are down 2-0 have less than a 10% chance at winning based on history. Um in that particular series, Draymond stomps down. He gets suspended. He gets eject, he gets ejected, um, and a lot of people are obviously up in arms because Draymond was ejected from that game. There was a perpetrator in Demontis Sabonis, if you will, who did grab Draymond Green's ankle, and that definitely could put a player at risk. It was a dirty play, if you will, um, and now. Draymond suspended for a, a pivotal game three tonight for the Warriors who get to play their first playoff game at home this postseason. Here's my thing about the Draymond Green suspension. Your reputation precedes you. 
which is one of the primary reasons why the NBA ultimately decided to suspend Draymond Green for this game. Again, people are trying to kind of narrow this down to the one particular incident, but the reality of it is Draymond has had a lot of these types of incidents or often finds himself more often than any other player in the league in these types of incidents than any other player in the league, as I just mentioned. So while people expected to be Draymond received his punishment by getting ejected, his team ultimately lost in that game and they had a chance at victory while he was there and available and seemed to have an upward trajectory during the actual time that this play was happening, that the Warriors were kind of going to take off and maybe steal that game too, which is always the goal to try to go and do when you're on the road is to steal a game because as you know, a series don't start until a team wins on the road or until we get to a game seven where it's do or die. Um, but Draymond, his reputation preceded him. And I know people are trying to defend him because this can make a difference in the outcome of the playoffs because Draymond is that good of a player or at least that important of a player, I should say, to the Golden State Warriors in particular. But a part of why Draymond is as important as Draymond is for the Golden State Warriors is because he's willing to get down and dirty and do the things like this, even if that means he has to sacrifice himself, but ultimately try to boost the morale of the team or try to put, strike fear or strike some nerves into the other team and get into the opposing team's head. And that's another thing that we got to absolutely acknowledge here. As I talk about, the Warriors not just being down 0-2, the frustration, I believe, is starting to settle in with at least Draymond in particular because you're kind of getting beat at your own game. Again, this team is veteran savvy enough, I believe, to know being down 0-2 and knowing that you have two games at home, that you are very well still in the series and that you very well can turn the series around. They've been through enough. They are... I mean, they've won multiple championships, four championships to be exact. This team is seasoned enough to not be rattled by going down 0-2 on the road, knowing how well it is that they play at home. I do think there's something to be said about Draymond being rattled by the fact that what he does and what he's been more successful at than probably anybody else in the NBA during his tenure in the NBA – is being played back against him. And ultimately, I think that's a Mike Brown thing. The way Mike Brown is trying to beat the Warriors is not by trying to play an opposing style of game. And you know how they say styles make fights. He's not attempting to do that and play some opposite style of basketball that can pull the Warriors away from doing what it is they like to do, getting up and down the floor, playing with pace, moving around, and ultimately getting buckets and scoring, shooting three-pointers, so on and so forth, playing with massive space, all the things that we've known the Warriors to do. Mike Brown has prepared his team with obviously the insight only that he could have having coached this personnel and having coached underneath Steve Kerr for so many years now. And he's like, yo, they can be beat at their game. And I love to see that aspect again for him as a black coach and him having the success that he's having. And, and again, the Warriors have to acknowledge, we all have to acknowledge that there's some frustrating setting in and 
Draymond showed it ultimately, and Sabonis baited Draymond and got exactly what he wanted out of the situation. Maybe not a kick to the chest, but damn sure a suspension in game three, and Draymond is out and unavailable. Now, also, with that said, Draymond's response to the actual incident made it to where it was pretty much a no-brainer to me that he probably would get suspended following that act when he went and start taunting the fans and all of these things. Um, and while, yes, we we know fans are shitty, we obviously are dealing with that in this series as well with the OG E40, V-Town, my hometown hero, a guy who's from where I'm from, my OG E40, shout out to him. That's Unk. But when you have fans who are chirping, and fans who are being disrespectful and maybe even making some racial commentary or at least towing the line of racial commentary. Yeah, that's fouling out of pocket. Shout out to E40. That other fan needs to no longer be coming to games because I saw the statement the King said as well. And it sounds like they're pretty much siding with E40 without me going to actually read the full on statement right here, right now. But Draymond, the fans are still very important. And I think a sort of disconnect that Draymond Green is starting to have as somebody with as high of IQ as he has, as somebody who has his show and is doing great things with his podcast. I'm not particularly the biggest fan of his podcast because I think it's a little more basic and it doesn't give me any more insight than I can gain myself. That's not me saying Draymond doesn't have far more insight than I do. That's me saying that Draymond is still a part of a particular fraternity that is the NBA that doesn't allow him to give as much insight as he has to offer because of the fraternity he's a part of, and because when it comes to schemes and strategies and things like that, his team is oftentimes playing deep into the playoffs, and you can't give that stuff away, and you can't dig as deep into the X's and O's. So I love the fact that he's doing the podcast. I think it makes for great entertainment, and I think it makes for a, a maybe a more basic, casual basketball fan than myself. Um, it's good for them to be able to have from Draymond. But I do think a part of Draymond's disconnect is being a part of that fraternity, believing in his IQ the way that he does, and it obviously is there and exists. So for all the right reasons, he has the confidence in, IQ, in his IQ and the way that he does. He sometimes diminishes and degrades fans, but the fans are so important when it comes to this league. And I know that as a guy who sits courtside at a lot of these games and me having a courtside seat has led to security kicking players up off of where I was sitting courtside because maybe it was a little bit tight on their bench and they'll make them squeeze back on that bench together because the fans are the one that makes this thing go round. They're the ones that's paying the money showing up and attending these games. And the fact that Draymond responded to the fans the way that he did on national TV using the P word that represents a, a female body part and Adam Silver is live and direct in the building. Did you think he was going to be able to get away with the stump and the disrespect of the fans? Absolutely not. It was never going to happen. So, again, if you're talking to Devon Pouncey, the guy that grew up in Vallejo, California, and used to hoop at Crest Park where a hard foul was a part of the game and you don't call it unless you bleed, I do don't feel in my heart of hearts that Draymond Green should be suspended tonight. 
But when I get outside of myself and I acknowledge this for what it is, which is much bigger than me and much bigger than Draymond Green as well, you can't not only do that stomp, already have a reputation that precedes you, and then react the way that you did to NBA fans who, for what it's worth, may be buying into the banter back and forth, especially because it's a playoff atmosphere and it's their team. But still, this has now become a part of their experience. And Draymond, if anybody is calling you the P-word, and I'm not saying that you didn't deserve to call whatever fan you called the P-word the P-word, but what I do know is I since I don't know what that fan said, I don't care what I got going on. It's almost like somebody calling you the B-word. If we back and forth and we at it and you call me that, those are pretty much fighting words. And ever since Malice in the Palace – Fighting words in the NBA are a big no-no. They just are. Because we've seen how much of a mess that that actually turned into. And again, that's not me blaming Draymond. That's me just acknowledging the, the, the institution and the system that Draymond Green is a part of. And I think he's very much so aware of that. Sometimes. I think other times. He doesn't care about whether he's aware of that or not because his emotions may get to the best of him. Something we've seen before as well. So I'm not really the one that's going to sit here and defend the fact that he shouldn't be suspended. And I'm the one who definitely don't want him to be suspended because I have a rooting interest here. But I am going to be the person that says when your reputation precedes you and when you go and you react with the fans the way that he did, you got to expect to have to take a game off, buddy. And that's exactly what happened. So hopefully my dubs figure it out. I'm seeing GP2, who y'all know is my guy, one of my real close friends. He's been sick. So we don't know if he's playing tonight. At least as of about a half an hour ago, again, by this time the game will be done and over by the time y'all hear this podcast. But don't know if he's going to be playing tonight. I assume he will be, but damn it, he's still questionable at this point. Um, but I think the Warriors still get it done at home. I, I don't see a world where the Kings are going to go up 3-0 in this series. I quite frankly can still say with, with all the good things I've got to say about the Kings and all the good things that i got to say about Mike Brown – the Warriors had a chance to win both of those games late in those games. And the Warriors, I think, are dealing with much different issues when you have to obviously acknowledge rotations. It was Wiggins' first game back. He's got to get his legs under him. He's now back in the starting lineup. you got to figure out what ways you're going to use him in this particular series. Gary Payton II just started playing fairly recently as well. He obviously got traded at the deadline to the Warriors, but he was out for a good portion of the time. So now you're seeing his minutes increase significantly, especially based on what it is that he can do defensively. He's actually been scoring the basketball a bit for what it's worth as well. Um, um, but Kerr's got a lot more, I feel like, to figure out with his rotations, with his personnel, and with what it is that they want to do against this Kings team. And Mike Brown has been chomping at the bit to be at this Warriors team, and he's had his team rocking and rolling all year long. They've been in rhythm all year long, and now he gets to play against a team that he knows probably better than any other team in the NBA. And his guys got the job done at home. Don't think it'll happen tonight in Game 3, so y'all will be able to tell 
tell me if I'm wrong with that prediction there. I think the Warriors are going to turn up at home. Front row 40, E40 already released a music video today, so we know he'll be front and center tonight, and the, and the crowd is going to turn up for him when they show him on the Jumbotron in the arena. I just think it's a golden state, state of mind that we need to be in right now and that they are going to win here tonight. But, again, those Kings, man, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. Now, I'm going to get away from sports a little bit, um, and I want to talk about Portland Street Response in particular. Um, For those of you that don't know what Portland Street Response is, um, it is an alternative first response model, um, and it primarily deals with people that are on the streets that are having mental health crisis here in Portland for the last five years, over the over 50% of the arrests that have been made have been unhoused people. And a lot of those times, um, those arrests aren't because of violent crimes, but it's more so because people are having mental health episodes, if you will. And the police don't really have many other options rather than to arrest people. And, That in itself, I believe, perpetuates a cycle of more crisis, (laughs) especially when it comes to that crisis in particular or or more intensified crisis when it comes to the housing crisis. Because now you have people that continue to get wrapped up in a legal system that doesn't allow them to be able to gain and have access to things that a legal system and being wrapped up in it won't allow you to have. And here they are back on the streets having to deal with a lot of these same, same old things, whether it be substance abuse, whether it be just, uh, just surviving the environment. (laughs) Like, I don't think people think about that enough. Like when you have people that live outside on the streets, on the concrete day in and day out, a lack of access to to hygienic things um, and, and so much others like having to just survive outside every day. It's it's its own beast in itself. Um, but there's been a recent order from. Commissioner, City Commissioner Rene Gonzalez, who I think for good context did replace City Commissioner Joanne Hardesty, who was pivotal in implementing Portland Street Response as a city program. Um, Rene Gonzalez has come out and ordered that Portland Street Response must assist homeless campers in crisis during sweeps. Well, the fire chief is the one who ordered it, Chief uh, Chief Boone. And... Chief Sarah Boone, to be particular. And there's a big problem with that because one of the reasons why Portland Street Response was created was it was created based on what the community wanted. And when I say the community, I'm obviously speaking in some ways about the community at large, but in particular, the unhoused community. And the reason I know that is because I'm the vendor program director at street roots and our vendors were the ones that were going out there and gathering the information needed from people in the unhoused community to ultimately draw up what they would want from an alternative first response system to combat the fact that they are getting arrested at a much higher rate than anybody else in our community. And at I would say an alarming rate at large because they're arrested over half of the time that anybody is in our community in particular. So this sort of idea and what was a pilot and now has expanded citywide 
um, and and still has aspirations to expand 24-7. This didn't just come or derive from what a politician may have thought or may have felt they needed to do to try to end the homeless crisis crisis here in the city, which I tell you, it definitely is a crisis. But this came about from the ideas and the and was informed by the ideas of people who it's going to impact most who have lived experience with being on the streets, which is why it's Portland Street Response. Now, with sweeps in particular, to attach them with sweeps that have for a long time been connected to the police who would show up with, you know, the folks that are coming out and sweeping people, uh, people's uh, items and belongings um, to stop them from camping. Because now Portland Street response has to go out and be involved in these sweeps. I think that creates a problem when it comes to trust. Now, that doesn't mean Portland Street Response can't attend sweeps when they do indeed happen. And, you know, because they are better trained to be able to handle people that can end up in crisis because their possessions are getting swept and taken away from them. But to attach PSR as a part of sweeps, I for a lot of people on the streets, it will now feel like y'all are in on all of my belongings and everything that belongs to me being taken for whatever it's worth. And now I don't trust you to try to help me and find other resources and better resources to a get my stuff back and B to try and like get me off of the streets, if you will. And even if it's not get me off of the streets, it's to help me de-escalate because I'm now in crisis and especially a mental health crisis on top of everything that it already is that I have to deal with and that I have to try and survive. So that's not the only thing though that's happened recently. Um, there was also a halt in Portland street response and being able to give out folks tarps and tents. Um, and granted that's because camping is not wanted from, uh, Renee Gonzalez. And I'm not here to like, really like dig deep into the camping aspect of itself. Um, a lot of people feel a lot of type of ways about camping on the streets. Um, and I'm one of those people that kind of just to give you at least a little bit of my insight when it comes to camping on the streets. Um, first things first, I think it's inhabitable. So with that said, I don't think kicking the can down the road is the answer. And oftentimes with these sweeps, people are just relocating and they're going to another spot to get swept and they're still living on the streets and they're still having to, to deal with the crisis that not only is homelessness, but can trigger whatever their own individual crisis are that they can go through. It could be mental health. It can be so many other things. Um, so, yes, while I do say um, it doesn't look great, I know for a lot of people um, who, who don't have much compassion, it's an eyesore to them. Um, and again, I can also acknowledge that I don't think it's a habitable situation for people to be living on the streets. I'm a housing first kind of guy and we need to do everything we can to get these people housed. But I'm also not the guy that's going to tell you to put 500 people on top of each other on a, and on a campsite and a campground and think that that's going to be the answer either because I can tell you right now I'd be damned if I live with 500 people ever <laughs> so <laughs> that's just me um but with that being said 
you know, um, Portland Street response. Didn't hand out many tarps and tents, by the way, especially in comparison to, like, the Joint Offices of Homelessness. Like, it's not even close. It's like a raindrop in the sea amount um, that they've distributed. But they're no longer able to distribute that. Um, and I think there's other supplies that are being scaled back from Portland Street response as well. But you're having them take on a bigger role and now attaching them to be a part of sweeps on top of the work it is that they already do and that they already respond to. Also, for more context here, there was a hiring freeze in the fire bureau and uh, Portland Fire and Rescue. Portland Street response falls under that particular bureau now i ain't the smartest guy in the world but having a hiring freeze taking away resources yet expanding what it is that a program does seems a little contradicting to me because why would i take away from a program that i'm having take on more assignments Maybe is it to diminish that particular program and overwhelm that program to a point to where it's ineffective? Because that feels like it's what the plan is for me. Now, with alternative response models being a lot more popular in today's day and age, um, with it gaining a lot more national traction, um, obviously Senator Wyden, a friend of the show, has been on here. He's led the Cahoots bill, and it was billions of dollars in uh, the coronavirus relief package for these types of alternative first response models, especially on the heels of... 2020 and the reckoning that took place with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, so on and so forth. It would be pretty foolish, especially in this market that is still technically a Democratic market for Renee Gonzalez, who now is over Portland Fire, who obviously went up against that of Commissioner Hardesty, who was over Portland Fire. It would be foolish for him to directly attack and just try to strip away everything that is Portland Street response when it comes to what it is and who he is politically, especially because there have been inklings of him showing support for Portland Street response and not wanting to really touch or change that particular program. But when you take away the resources that this program has that allows it to be to uh, to work. And now you not you're not backfilling hires that may be leaving for other jobs or whatever the case may be, and you have all of these things going on. To me, it's just contradicting to want to expand what it is that the program does, yet not invest more in it. Like, like, like that's just basic mathematics to me. And again, I can tell you as somebody that obviously is in this space, there is more stuff coming down the pike and there will be a fight, especially coming for us from us and what we do on the advocacy front at Street Roots against all of this because we're seeing what's going on and we are going to acknowledge it, fight it. Kaya Sand wrote a phenomenal um, piece about it in our newspaper um, that just was released yesterday. So go and find a vendor, cop a paper from them, and you'll be able to read kind of what she had to say about it. Um, and there is more coming down the pike. I can at least tell you that much. Um, but what I will say is where I stand personally on it, beyond you know some of the things that I do know that I just 
quite frankly can't tell because it's off the record. And some of the things that I just don't know because I'm not Mr. Know-it-all, I can tell you, to me, just from the most basic level, it seems contradicting to not invest in a program that you are having take on more work and a bigger role in your alternative uh, or just in your first response system at large, although this one is an alternative one. Um, but the fact that it's taking on a bigger role, yet resources are being taken away from it, budget seems to be being scaled back from it, it just don't make sense to me. And that's where I stand on that. But believe you me, you will be hearing a lot more of what we're doing on the advocacy front when it comes to Portland Street Response. Um, I'll be bringing people on this very show I know we we primarily talk sports, but it's what I do, and this is an intersectional podcast. Um, and this is an is an advocacy project that's very near and near and dear to me, as I got to be a part of its progress and making it become a reality. Um, the first alternative first response model that this city has had in over a hundred years. And uh, my goodness, let's not dig into the history of this city and why this was probably needed a hundred years ago, (laughs) but but it didn't happen for over a hundred years. So I'll keep y'all in the loop with that, but definitely I think y'all should stay tapped into what's going on um, because it's not a great thing in my eyes. And again, a fight is coming. I can tell you that much. Um, We've been there before. We're here again. And, yeah, it, it, we're not going to make this easy for Renee Gonzalez to try to just break this thing down and then try to blame the program for being ineffective when you did everything in your power to make it ineffective. It's just not going to happen. Um, transitioning out of that, um, Jamie Foxx got to send prayers up to Jamie Foxx. Um, don't know exactly what happened with Jamie Foxx, and I'm not even going to sit here and say what the rumor is or create a rumor or a narrative. Go look it up for yourself if you want to try and figure it out and put the pieces together. I'm not really into the gossip in that way. But what we do know is that he's had some health concerns. Um, his family has come out and acknowledged those health concerns, and we want to make sure to send our prayers up. He seems to be um, pretty stable right now, but he had a, a medical incident that recently took place. And Jamie Foxx, man, it, it gets no bigger than Jamie Foxx for me, especially um, because in my era and my generation of like growing up on black entertainment, I don't think there was a greater talent, overall talent, in entertainment than Jamie Foxx. I mean, other people that you would probably put in that conversation, again, me being a 90s baby, would be people of the likes of Will Smith. Um, Obviously, Will Smith, phenomenal actor, um, also had a lot of success in the music industry, as did Jamie Foxx in both of those spaces. But where even I would put Jamie Foxx ahead of him is stand-up comedian. Um, Will Smith maybe just a few years ago, finally started doing stand-up. Jamie Foxx had been doing stand-up all along. And so I think with Jamie Foxx in particular, and and I have a high, high, high respect for good stand-up comedy. Some of y'all may remember, who's been long-time listeners of this podcast, I used to promote my own stand-up comedy shows when we had Brian Hooks come down here to Portland. Um, We had him on this podcast, but I used to promote my own stand-up comedy shows. So that's a big part for me when it comes to just overall talent and entertainment, but I can't think of a black entertainer from my generation that was more all around talented than that of Jamie Foxx. So 
he's huge for me. And me being in the space of entertainment now myself, like Jamie Foxx is the bar. Yeah, you also got people like Denzel Washington. Um, but Denzel <laughs> was more of a one-trick pony in the sense that He's a great actor. Denzel was just so great of an actor. And being that actor is a significant sector of the entertainment space. And he absolutely dominated that when it came to black culture in particular. You still put him in that class and in that tier when it comes to the most talented black entertainers that I grew up on. Um, I think another sneaky one would be like an ice cube that you could throw in there um, where he's what he's been able to do in the film and TV space. And also obviously what he was as a, as a rapper and, you know, he still raps, you know, they got the OG crew with him, Snoop, Mount Westmore, um, E 40 and too short. Um, But Jamie Foxx, again, I don't think, I don't think, there's a more talented black person than Jamie Foxx. <laughs> and so, again, prayers up to him, wishing him the absolute best. And um, we'll have more playoff talk for y'all next week. I have a lot of it. I know, obviously, I talked about the Warriors today. Um, but I think the playoffs have been great. If I do want to just say a little bit of what I think about the playoffs without breaking stuff down series by series, um, I'll say that, Ain't nobody scared of nobody in this postseason, and anybody can get it, quite frankly. Obviously, there are some series where teams are just better than other teams. I think the Boston-Atlanta series is one of those. The Denver-Minnesota series is another one of those. Um, But nobody is the big dog out here. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, And in this league, even the Warriors, obviously now going down 0-2 and who's probably the only team that still has a dynastic feel to it, especially now that they're the defending champions, having won that championship last year on the heels of what they've been able to do for the last decade. They're down 0-2 in the first round. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, so it just doesn't feel like we got a big dog in this postseason. And there's still very much so that feel that anybody can get it. I think another series where another team is just better than the other is that Philadelphia series against the Nets. Um, But Philadelphia don't feel like a team to me, even what they're doing against the Nets that like they're going to get it done this year. Like it's so much talent in this league. It's so much parody in this league now. And this postseason has been a great one for basketball purists because you get to see that it's not as much about the big names anymore. Role players make a difference, and there's so much talent that you need depth and you need just talent top to bottom to be able to go out and win. And having a top-heavy roster ain't really the way to get it done no more. Like, you just got to have – continuity you got to have a good system because everybody's got talent that's just where we are right now so I'm enjoying that aspect of it to know that like it doesn't feel like there's a giant to be slayed this postseason it feels like anybody can get it let's see who can get through the mud and go earn it and actually get it done so I'm enjoying the postseason right now I hope y'all are too um but I'm gonna get out of here on that note and y'all know we only get out of here one way and that is to stay woke and go in.